0: What's something you're looking forward to post-divorce?
1: (sighs) Ah, well, I mean, because I've had a taste of the separation, just not having that anxiety when talking to Rodney on the phone, you know, what's he Mm. gonna say? You know, what's Mm -hmm. wrong now? What, you know, to just be done.
0: Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. We get a lot of questions on this show about relationships and marriages, how to maintain them, how to make them stronger and more fulfilling. But sometimes, let's be honest, the best solution for a troubled relationship is to end it. The average marriage lasts eight years. And while the divorce rate nationwide has been going down for decades, the divorce rate for couples over 50 years old has actually been rising. Those couples are now twice as likely to divorce as they were in 1990. That's the hard reality that this week's listener, who we're calling Bernadette, is wrestling with.
1: After the pandemic, my husband said that he wanted to get out. And that's where I am now. Mid 50s, hadn't worked a very long time, counting on the life that we set, and now trying to navigate it, which is what brought me to how to. How do I navigate this new change in my life, something I didn't expect, but something I know I need to embrace, and I am. But how does one do that professionally, personally, um, and do it well?
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, it's a lot. And I appreciate your reaching out to us, Mm -hmm. Bernadette. I know it's not an easy thing. So it was his idea to end the marriage, and it came as something of a surprise, but, but not entirely. Do I have that right?
1: I would say that I knew the marriage was not healthy, was not at its, I can't even say it was good. And I assumed that we'd be in a not good marriage for the rest of our lives because it's what we committed to. So mm-hmm. it was a shock. And I'm like, wait, now what? <laughs> and it's, it's the pieces. Mm-hmm. That's what I wrote to how to, to decide what pieces to pick up first. What, what do I do given that <laughs> what I thought was, isn't.
0: In some ways, Bernadette is fortunate. Her three kids are all grown up now, so there won't be a giant custody battle. And she has a Ph.D. and a good job. But the comfortable retirement that she always planned to share with her husband is suddenly gone. And it can be really hard to start over later in life, not just financially, but also socially. I would
1: say the embarrassment and the shame of not having it work out, you know.
0: So, so it feels like on some level embarrassing. Yeah,
1: embarrassing. And then, you know, showing up alone and unmarried. It's just kind of weird.
0: Right. It feels like you've done something wrong.
1: And I wanted to be able to move forward in a smart fashion to embrace the next thing to keep me happy, sane, whole, legally, financially, socially protected.
0: That's a long list, a good list, but a lot for anybody to wrap their arms around. So we called in the divorce doctor herself, clinical psychologist, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen.
2: Um, I specialize in working with people who are going through the divorce process, um, both considering, experiencing, and my favorite part, the afterglow, as I call it.
0: She's also the author of Light at the Other
2: Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You, which is exactly what Bernadette is looking for. You said something interesting, like, I assume we'd be in this unhappiness forever. And I'm here to say, no, you, you will never be in unhappiness forever because you deserve to have happiness and joy. And we'll talk about how to get that.
0: Oh, thank you. Now, of course, there is no easy way to end a marriage, but surely there are better and worse ways. I mean, something like 53 million Americans alive today have gone through a divorce. That is a lot of hard-earned wisdom. So on today's show, Dr. Cohen's gonna share some of that wisdom to help Bernadette and all of us get through loss and transition with as much grace, humor, and sanity as possible. Stay with us.
3: Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
4: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash
0: Defender. Okay, so before we go any further, it's worth saying that divorce is a really complicated topic. It comes in all different shapes and sizes, and there are so many ways it can go. This episode is not a nuts and bolts look at how to jump through the legal hoops, because that's not what Bernadette's asking for. She wants to know about the mindset, habits, and daily practices to help
2: her get through to the other side. And it starts with a pencil and some paper every day write down at least three great things that you've done because you are a powerhouse. And so you started by telling us the amazing accomplishments you have had. Graduate school before 30, raising these kids who could launch. And very often when people are in a marriage that hasn't been fulfilling them, those parts of them get quieted, hidden, and not seen. So a big part of your job first is going to be to keep seeing that, keep noticing it. Hmm. And as a behaviorist, I really believe in noting it every day. So noticing the things that you do that are really beautiful. And it can be holding the door for somebody, speaking to the barista, smiling at somebody. They don't have to be, you know, donated $100,000 to charity. They can be small bits of your life that really show your strength. The second thing I just want to say, Bernadette, is that you are so not alone with the Mm -hmm. after the pandemic partner deciding that the marriage is ready to be let go of. Um, the pandemic really, you know, many people in relationships kind of walk through them. I don't know if this was your experience and maybe you have a job where you have intimate relationships with people, not sexually, but you know, emotionally so that you feel fulfilled. And then suddenly all of that stopped and we had to really look at who we were sitting next to in this house. And I mean, as a therapist and as someone who loves watching people move through this process, I actually think it was a great thing to happen because it really allowed people to see what wasn't working.
0: Bernadette, I'm wondering when you think about the pieces that do need to be picked up, which is the piece that's most on your mind? Is it about the financial side? Is it about the social side? Is it about, um, you know, trying to, the new dynamics with your grown children? What's most on your mind right now?
1: What's most on my mind, Amanda, is what you listed first, the finances, because I put things on hold to raise the family, so that at the age mm-hmm. of you know, 60, whatever, we would take our retirement and be able to live on that. Now, that's not the case. It's different. So financially, that
0: concerns me. Her concern is valid. Statistically speaking, women who get divorced over the age of 50 experience a 45% decline in their standard of living on average. Their ex-husbands experience a decline too, but it's about half as steep. So Bernadette's right to be worried about the money for practical reasons and for other deeper reasons too. And you took how many years uh, out of the workforce to raise your children? Oh, a good 25 full-time,
1: and then probably 15 years I worked part-time.
0: I see. So much of your career was either Home part time mm-hmm. or full time um, raising the kids, which makes it's just why you could have three kids. It's not an easy thing to do um, if if both people are working full time. Exactly. So you kind of made that possible for your family and had certain expectations. Meanwhile, I assume your husband uh, was continuing
2: to work this whole time. Correct. You did the hardest job anyone could ever do, which is managing children's emotional, physical, spiritual lives mm-hmm. while also managing your home. Um, and to really continue, as I said earlier, to think about your assets, what you're bringing to things. I talk to people a lot about the words we choose. Even people talk about, you know, I feel like such a failure um, that my marriage ended. And I really try to encourage people to say, my marriage gave me everything that it could and it is now time to release it. Here's another insight.
0: As you write this next chapter of your life, Choose your words carefully. How are you telling people now? If, if, if I'm a friend, I haven't seen you in a while, what, what do you say?
1: You know, walking around, you know, 30 years in this marriage and say, oh, you know, hi, Bernadette. You know, how's Rodney? And it's like, Ugh, you know, what, what do I say? And I want, you know, because I'm an educator, I wanted that little, Ugh, you know, I wanted that little tagline. Like, oh, without lying, you know, if I'd say, oh, Rodney's the same. <laughs> right mm-hmm. or but the truth <laughs> is rodney and i are separated then I have to go through that oh i'm sorry or oh yeah i knew you weren't getting along. whatever i just didn't want to go through that but mm-hmm. i wanted to be truthful you know so what story am i telling and what i'm realizing as i go through my social life no one's really asking <laughs> so they? i'm thinking mm. didn't <laughs> they don't they care about mm-hmm. me <laughs> but at this point our lives were so separate you know so socially no one's really asking but professionally which was another reason why i wrote in what do I do? You know, when I go from, you know, Bernadette to my regular last name at work with my email signature, if I change things, what's that going to look like? And I don't want to have to deal with that truth. And I know I need to Dr. Cohen. I'm sure you'll tell me that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: my social strength can't come through a, an email signature,
2: (laughs) right? I think you're bringing up such important points, Bernadette, that so many people, uh, think about. So first, I just want to talk, I have a chapter in my book called Friends or Foes, and it's really important before you even think about who you're talking to and what you're saying, let's do a little inventory of the different kinds of people in our lives. We all have um, people that are in different tiers. Brene Brown speaks about, you know, if you have two people who you can really open your heart to, you're golden. And so there are these people who are cheerleaders who, you know, if you call and say, oh, you know, I just talked to Rodney. It was a really hard conversation to say, girl, you know, you've got so much going for you. You've got your whole life in front of you. They're just your cheerleaders, Mm -hmm. right? unfortunately, we all have this other group too, which are naysayers, which are people who, I'm sure you have this Bernadette too, who no matter what you say, they're always like, well, why is he doing that? You know, they they kind of are are more negative. And unfortunately, there's a social psychology phenomenon that we go to those naysayers more than we go to our cheerleaders. Mm. I think it's because, you know, if we convince them, then somehow we convince ourselves that what we're doing is right. But it really messes us up. And so before you even think about what am I gonna to say to this person? Think about how do I feel around this person? And is this person a comfortable person to open my heart and my vulnerability with?
0: There's a lot you can't predict in life. But one thing you can predict is that a lot of people who ask you about your divorce will project their own feelings onto you about their own hopes and fears, resentments and grudges. Dr. Cohen discovered this when she went through her own divorce 14
2: years ago. So people would come to me and say, oh, my God, you must be so upset. I can't believe this. I'm so sorry. And then another group of people would say, oh, my God, how did you do that? Tell me. It was all about their marriage. It had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. And so when people would say, I'm so sorry, I would actually sometimes stop them and say, I understand that's your feeling. I'm actually really happy and excited about this next chapter and you'd be amazed that we actually can set the tone of the conversation so for some people that you don't really want to get into it you can say Thanks for your concern. I'm actually doing well. What's going on with you? Like you're in charge of this. There's something about getting divorced. I think it's similar like when you're pregnant and people think they can touch your stomach. Like when you say you're getting divorced, people think you want to like go into the whole story. That's not a healthy response for everybody. So I really want you to think about who's in front of you and how do they make you feel and how much do you want to actually open up to them? It's your choice. And no is a full sentence. No, thank you. I don't feel like talking about it. Thanks for your concern. Now, this takes practice, but it's totally worth it.
0: Whenever you're dealing with something hard, whether it's a job loss or a death or a divorce, really anything that you might have to talk about in public before you're really ready, write down and memorize a short, decisive response that you can just keep in your back pocket.
2: Even though you and Rodney might not have been in the happiest place in your marriage. You still imagined, as you said beautifully, a life together. Changing your email signature is a big deal for you because it's, it's a symbol of the grief and the loss. So whether you call a friend and say, I'm doing this now, can we talk on the phone while we're doing this? Or take a deep breath and take yourself out for a coffee after you do it, really do it gently, knowing that it's a process of your grief. It's not just changing a signature. It's part of your grief. And we really need to learn to honor feelings. It's something that in our culture, we really don't. We push through. I should be over it. I don't know if you have these thoughts. This shouldn't bother me. Why am I so upset? Do you sometimes have those thoughts? Of course. Of course I do. Yes. Yeah. And that's so negating of your experience. You have feelings because you're human. Mm -hmm. If we don't have feelings, then we're not having a full experience. And so many of us want to just have what we call positive feelings joy excitement happiness and the truth is that feelings are simply excitations in the brain and if we don't let ourselves have all of them we actually will miss out on any of them and an important tip to remember when you're going through this is just that emotions last for 90 seconds if we don't do anything to change them so if you notice when you're changing your email signature oof ouch this hurts Stay with that for 90 seconds and it'll move right through you. This is excellent. That was another question I had. How long,
1: you know, how long will I feel this? But you just put a time on it and I I can sit there for 90 seconds. That's good. I'm glad. One bit
0: at a time. Mm-hmm. One little bit at a time. Yeah, it's funny because... I've always hear this, you got to sit with your feelings, you got to sit with your feelings, you got to let it go through. you can't res- you can't suppress it, right It'll come back to bite you and I know it's true. We all know this is true. there's a ton of research and life experience behind it. but having a time limit on it is somehow way <laughs> way, way more doable and I've literally never heard that before. Right, so right thank but, you for that. It's like labor pains you know they
1: tell you oh, it's gonna hurt but they <laughs> yeah. last forever. they last and they stop they last. you know so th- this is good it, this is instead of labor pains, They're divorce pains. They're intermittent, Mm -hmm. they don't go on forever, and at the end of labor, you get a baby. But at the end of divorce, we'll get our joy back.
2: Yes, yes, that's so beautifully said. What a beautiful way of saying that. This is
0: a really smart tip for dealing with any kind of painful emotion. Whenever you feel those waves of sadness or dread rising up in you, just let it
2: rip for 90 seconds and then see how you feel. In my book, I do talk about um, actually writing on tissue paper the story that you thought was going to happen. So you mentioned a little bit about it, you know, at 60, we would retire and the kids would be out of the house and, and kind of write it all out because that was a story that you had in your mind that you envisioned. And then with tissue paper, what's really cool is if you wrap it up, you can burn it and it kind of flows into and disintegrates into the sky into the air and you can really if you want as a spiritual person say a prayer but really release that story mm. so that you can make room for the new growth just like they do in controlled fires where you burn what isn't working so that it can be new growth and so that's that if that's a tool that resonates with you uh, that's something i suggest Ooh, thank you
0: I love this tip. We know that writing about hard things helps our brain reckon with them. So pick up that pencil again and write down the future that was supposed to happen. Then crinkle up that paper and throw it away. Or light it on fire and watch it burn for at least 90 seconds before safely putting it out. This is how you start to grieve your past and rewrite your future. But what happens when the smoke clears? How do we rise from the ashes and move on? That's after the break.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: We're back with Bernadette and Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, a practicing psychologist, author, and host of the podcast, The Divorce Doctor. You know, Dr. Cohen, I think you've said that money is never just about money. Now, it is about money in the sense that, you know, you need to be able to to live. It's important to try to sustain some similar standard of living so that you don't feel like you're just losing on all fronts. Um, But also, is it important to think about what the money represents? Hmm.
2: Yeah. I think it's a really important thing to say that money is also money. It is a resource that people need and many people do not have enough. And so I feel like it's important, yes, to say that for sure. One of the things I wanted to say about the money decisions and also you mentioned like the legal decisions, it's really important to understand. So in the trauma research, we understand there to be, um, you know, the traumas that we all kind of know about, you know, war, natural disasters, um, car accidents that we call actually big T traumas. But we also now know research shows the impact of what we call little T traumas, which are traumas that... Um might seem less significant, but they emotionally impact us just like the big T traumas. And I believe divorce is one of them. And it's, you know, so many decisions you have to make financially. Do I go back to work? Do we do mediation or do we do litigation? Which lawyer do we pick? And when you're going through a little T trauma, the emotional part of your brain gets flooded with hormones um, and it's very hard for them to kind of communicate. And so I always say, whenever you're trying to make a decision about finances, about your career, about law, which way to pursue legal counsel, always make sure to first regulate your nervous system. Help your emotional brain decompress a little bit so that you can really communicate with your frontal lobes or your cognitive part of your brain. What does that look like? Things like meditation for you with a spiritual practice, it might be prayer. It can be breathing techniques.
0: Am I right in saying that you had a way of doing this with with music? Can you tell us about this?
2: Yeah, I do, especially with anger. So I put on a song. I always pick the same Rage Against the Machine song, and I let my body move as it wants to to the rageful music. I let my body experience that feeling physiologically instead of pushing it away. It's another way of doing the 90-second experience.
0: You said it's Rage Against the Machine. Is <laughs> <It's> Which song?
2: <laughs> I want to make sure we got this right. Yeah, I mean, I do Killing in the Name of. Killing in the Name of. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. But like... um There's some Alicia Keys songs for sadness that'll just bring me to my knees. You know, Mm. when I when the pandemic started, I had felt the sadness in my chest that I couldn't access. And the minute I put on actually an Andrea Day song called Mm. Rise Up. Yes. I just yeah, (laughs) I just friggin melted on the floor and I just wept because I knew it needed to move through me. I love that.
1: So good.
0: Interestingly, people used to think that you had to vent your rage to let it go, but the research has found that that's just not true. Venting anger by like punching a pillow doesn't actually help you feel any better and it can actually make you more aggressive afterwards. So we're going for something else here. We're trying to let the feeling come and go. Don't suppress it, don't marinate in it. And one way to do this is with music, but it's not the only way.
1: I did want to share one thing that was helpful when it came to regulation and so if you t- tell me if you think this is worth it so oftentimes when I have discussions with Rodney you know over the telephone and And just hearing the voice makes me, you know, anxious because we're going through a yucky time. Mm -hmm. And so what I do, I just tap. I read something about tapping therapy, so I just tap on my wrist. You're here. You're here. You're alive. (laughs) Love it. You know, just so I know. It's like, oh, I don't have to sit here, you know, and shake or you know, sweat. I just tap, tap, tap. Love it. And that just, that just really, that helps. And I forget my spiritual practices because I'm, I'm in the moment, but I'm not in the right way. Do you know what I mean?
2: So absolutely. Absolutely. Bernadette, I was going to mention tapping earlier. Oh, good. But just know that what's happening for you is exactly what happens, which is that when we feel the stress, that's the moment that your frontal lobes are coming offline. Mm -hmm. It's harder for you to feel present and make, you know, he might be asking you a very simple question and you can't answer it because of that flood of emotion. So tapping is beautiful. I am here feeling your feet on the floor. Mm -hmm. I recommend this also, which is look for Three red things. You can try it right now, Bernadette. Mm. Look for three red things in the room that you're in. And just kind of look at them. Say, you know, painting. Say it to yourself. Notice the three things. Make sure you're always t- also turning away um, so you turn your neck. Mm-hmm. And now look for two two green things. Mm-hmm. And then one yellow. Bam. I'm with you. That will orient you. Yeah, exactly. That will get you back into this moment to be able to think more clearly.
0: Mm, I wonder wonder if you could speak a little bit about your own experience, Dr. Cohen, going Mm. through the financial and legal side of divorce. Mm. Like if you were to go in a time machine and give yourself (laughs) advice, what would it be?
2: Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, first I just want to say to have someone who's gone through a divorce is really helpful. Someone once said to me, it's helpful to ask your lawyers if they've been through a divorce. It is different mm. when you've gone through it, but I wish that I had been more connected to my own needs mm. and I hadn't been as reliant on what other people thought. Um, and also this sense that um, there was a right and a wrong answer. <laughs> that there was a right or a wrong way there really wasn't um mm-hmm. i don't have a lot of um things i wish i had done differently honestly amanda because i have so much compassion for myself mm-hmm. that i did the best i could mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but i mm-hmm. do yeah. think that one of the smartest things i did was i i had a 6 month old and a 2 year old mm-hmm. when i asked my mm-hmm. ex-husband to leave so i had really young kids by myself and i just Created um, a community. You know, I live in New York City. All, we went in the playground. I just my friends became my family, mm. and I've reached out for help and I asked for help. And those are things that um, I think were really valuable. And I think the hardest thing I did for myself was not be on my side and 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 uh, didn't believe in myself. Probably.
3: Mm. Hmm.
0: Here's our next insight: find your people and lean on them. This can be a really lonely, disorienting time. In some cases, you're in a brand new apartment, or maybe you've stayed, but half the furniture has gone. Not to mention your kids suddenly have two homes. Now is the time to be a little bolder, braver, and more specific when it comes to asking your friends and family for help,
2: because you're gonna need them, especially if things go south during the divorce itself. I mean, nobody wants the war. Because it is incredibly time-consuming, obviously incredibly expensive, and really impacts that life after divorce. Um, I always recommend, if you can, to go to mediation and try that first. Um, Because it is, or collaborative law, which is a Mm -hmm. little different, um, that working together as a team, especially if you have kids, no matter how old they Mm -hmm. are, You're going to have to collaborate Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. And so um, a lot of pain and suffering can happen in the divorce process if it's so um, adversarial. This is a point worth stressing.
0: About a quarter of American divorces can be called high conflict, stuck in perpetual cycles of blame and hostility, In these divorces, everyone suffers, especially the kids. The conflict becomes all-consuming. One reason this happens is because divorce, for some reason, happens through a lawsuit, which is madness. It's inherently adversarial. That is a recipe for misery. Because, as Dr. Cohen said, you still need to interact with your ex, even if your kids are grown. What if one of them gets married, or has a baby, or, God forbid, gets sick? So here's the bottom line. If you can possibly manage it, opt out of the traditional adversarial system. Go for mediation or a collaborative divorce, which is, generally speaking, going to be much better for your family and your sanity.
2: It's amazing what we ask people to go through through a divorce, like going back to your beautiful analogy of the birth. Like we should have a maternity, like a divorce leave mm-hmm. before we have to do anything. Mm-hmm. like so mm-hmm. we can focus on ourselves and heal ourselves and then make decisions. I mean, if I now, if I was getting divorced with all these years of healing, I would probably make a lot of different decisions. But I didn't have the time to heal, unfortunately, so until you get that
0: time to heal, it's important to at least keep reminding yourself of what you do have. Instead of what you don't, financially, I, I have enough.
1: No doubt about it, I have enough, especially given you know the state of the world, I have enough, I have plenty. And what I'm grieving is, you know, what I'm giving up, because it certainly, it certainly affects me a lot more than it affects Rodney. And fortunately, I know the kids will be taken care of because the kids will be supported by Rodney's. You know, earning potential and all of that. So that gives me hope. I have enough t- for to live on comfortably for myself, but I won't have the legacy to share that Rodney would have provided. Mm. Okay, well, I have a
2: lot of things to say about this. First, <laughs> I want you to keep repeating what you said okay. to yourself every morning. I have enough.
4: Mm.
2: I have earning potential. You said Rodney has earning potential. You have earning potential. And again, with some of these um, affirmations, we don't have to believe them right away. We just keep telling them to ourselves. So that's important. And when you say I won't have a legacy, girl, you gave those kids leg. Are you kidding me? Like who those kids are is your legacy. You raised them. You stood by them. Mm -hmm. Like there's different kinds of legacy. True. Watch the focus of it only being the financial legacy. Thank you.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Because they're socially rich and spiritually rich.
2: Yes, that's good, thank you. And money can never buy that, I promise Mm -hmm. you. It does not buy spiritual Mm -hmm. fulfillment, happiness, emotional fulfillment. Thank you so much, Dr. Cohen. You provided
1: for me just what I needed when I reached out to How To. I thought, okay, How To, you do these things in all these different areas, but I've never heard this. Can you help me with this? And the answer was yes. With the practical guidance that you provided, I can't thank you enough.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure.
0: If you had to pick a song to process, whether it's anger or sadness or grief, does any song come to mind?
2: Of course.
0: Something inside so strong. The higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The farther you take my rights away. The faster
1: I will run says something inside so strong, I know that I can make it, That you're doing me wrong, so wrong. You thought that my pride was gone. Oh no, <laughs> something inside so strong. Brothers and sisters, when they insist we're just not good enough, you look them in the eye and say, I'm going to do it anyway.
0: something inside so strong I know that i wrong so wrong. You thought that my pride was gone. But no.
1: Something inside so strong. Haven't played it yet, but when I do, it will so be very loud. May get arrested for noise pollution. <laughs> but it, it will certainly be worth it. Awesome. I'm so glad that you reached out to us. Yes. I can't thank you and your producers enough for making this happen. And I appreciate, like, you know, you know, at the end, when you, uh, at the end of your podcast, you think you have a show idea, call this number. You know, I would say it really works. And because that day I was like, darn it, what do I do next? So I called and to get the call back and have me just be a part of this. I just can't thank you enough for this opportunity.
0: Bernadette, this is what we live for. We are so glad that you reached out and the rest of you should too. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We're here to make life a little less bumpy or at least play your favorite song. Thanks again to Bernadette and to Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. We'll link to her podcast, The Divorce Doctor, and her book, Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You. What about you? If you rely on how-to to get expert advice on hard things, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. Members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast you also get free and total access to Slate's website, so I hope you'll join if you can Go to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus to sign up. Thanks. And if you like what you heard today, you know what to do. Give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produce the show. Merit Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.